Okay, so this is a special edition of any of the shows that you listen to. So you've listened to Texas Long Gas Podcast, Energy Week, or Bring in the Closers. This will be on all the feeds. Um, so if you listen to it once, you've heard it all three times. Um, you know, Nate, I got a feedback from a listener saying, hey, man, yeah. your talk about your Chinese podcast sounded mm-hmm. a little bit negative, like you you didn't have a good time or the trip wasn't wor- uh, worth your time or Jeez, whatever. That's unfortunate. It I is. mean, you were complaining about the Great Wall a bit. but uh, Well, the Great Wall is steep and I'm fat. And so walking up steps is, <laughs> is, is, is it's, it's a chore. It is a chore. And so... Um, so I want to take that. We try to take the criticisms and comments. We always ask for comments, uh, concerns, or criticisms, or however I say that. Questions, comments, concerns, or things how I say it, and break those down and whatever. So I thought that you know what, um, let me kind of take a few minutes and give an overview of the trip. And so the first thing I should say before, and this is how you should interpret any of the comments I make about China here moving forward, is that the trip was outstanding. Um, I learned a lot, and I left with probably more questions than I knew I could have, if that makes sense. So there's things that I don't even know how to phrase them when I'm asking people about them moving forward because it's so it's so foreign to what you would expect, and, and I'll kind of get in that in a minute. Um, a couple things. One, I need to thank the Bush China Foundation because they did recommend me for this trip, so I do really appreciate those guys uh, put my name up. And, uh, yeah, they've it, been really, really nice to us. They, they are kind of awesome. They are. They are. I'm waiting on my hackathon certificate from them, and hopefully that will come in the mail soon. That says I'm a foreign policy expert, mm-hmm. but that's, yes. that's neither here nor there. We're going um, to put that up on the wall here, right? That will be framed on the wall when I get my hackathon certificate in. Oh, boy. Yes, yes. We will talk about that regularly. Um, the organizers, I don't know, and I haven't got permission to release the name of who brought us over. It wasn't the Bush China folks. They just nominated me. Um, so I don't want to say their name in case they want to be held uh, and quiet, but if, if that time comes, I will be happy to give them the praise that they deserve. And they brought in a consulting firm um, to take us around, Nate. And that consulting firm, let me tell you something, literally every detail of every meeting was pinpoint. Uh, they used WeChat over there. So every meeting we had a dossier, you know, a couple paragraphs or multiple paragraphs, depending on what was going on, of who we're meeting with, what to expect, um, is it on the record, off the record, um, you know, what they do, kind of a background, and every detail, you know, train station, meals, all of that was taken care of. The only thing that went wrong, the only thing from that perspective was the last train, the last night, the bus to pick us up showed up at the wrong station. And I joked in an email to someone, if that's the only thing that goes wrong on all moving all these people around multiple times, then literally nothing from that perspective goes wrong. Yeah, I mean, that's you know what? pretty impressive. The best we get around here is usually a drawing on some sand with a little <laughs> stick. <laughs> so so they, they did a fantastic job getting us from A to B. And again, if they want their name, I'll talk to them and make sure I give them the credit if I don't, I don't know. And the reason I'm saying I don't know a lot of stuff is because a lot of the meetings we had were considered off the record. And so what you will hear moving forward on podcast is B say, and I think on this Text on Guest podcast this week, that's the only show we've recorded at the time of this recording, is I mentioned LNG and how I heard over there that LNG um, could balance the trade deficit. And I heard that from multiple people, but those were off-the-record comments. And so I can't say who told me that or why they told me that. I just kind of kind of say, well, I heard this in China. So for the listener standpoint moving forward, if I say I heard this in China, note that these were very, very high-level meetings with um, politicians and CEOs and uh, organizations. But I can't say exactly who said it or what the context was because they asked it to be off the record. And so you have reason to say sources close to the matter. Sources close to the matter. Me. Sources close to the matter. And, and when I'm saying sources close to this matter, it's really their opinion. It's not necessarily a state policy or a private company policy. It's just 
sources close, to, you know, people we met with. He'd be like, you know, going out to the Permian and meeting with, you know, someone from, you know, XTO that's not the CEO, but he might say, well, you can't report this, but this is what we're hearing. Okay, well, yeah. that's what, you know, so I'm not, you know, he's not the CEO, so he can't influence it, but that's what he's hearing. And I might come on the podcast and say, well, you know, I heard XTO is doing this, this, and this, and I'm just using XTO as an example here. Um, and we make fun of the sources stuff, so I, I want to be careful with that because um, the sources that I have, some of them obviously are in some positions to make um, decisions, and some of them aren't, and I don't want to, to splice that out. So that would be kind of the general thing. Um, so kind of at a high level, some of the takeaways, and this is what was interesting, was um, when you go, we went from Beijing to Benhai to, I think it's Shuzhou, I always said it wrong, to Shanghai. So those are the cities we went to. Um, I think the smallest city we went to was like 2.5, I think 3 million. I mean, 3 million was the smallest city we went to, and that was like a suburb of a bigger city. So it's it's unbelievable. When you hear 1.4 billion or whatever the population is there, when you hear that, you're like, oh, okay, that's a lot of people. When you go there, you see... It's literally a lot of, it's a lot, you know, it, it sounds cliche, you know, but it, it really is just a ton of people. And it's overwhelming because going from city to city on these trains we went from, um, you would just see um, apartments to apartments to apartments to apartments. And you just had to wonder, okay, are these full or why are they building these or where are the jobs at? You know, if you're building outside Beijing, mm-hmm. it makes sense because there's lots of them in Beijing. But from Beijing to Benhai, kind of some, I don't want farmland, but grassland. It's like, okay, well, who's out here? What are they doing? And, and why are they doing it? Um, so it was it was just, and I live, for, if you don't know, just south of DFW area. So I'm familiar with big cities. I go to Houston. And this these would all, as far as big buildings and apartments, just dwarf anything I've ever been around. It was yeah. just stunning just how many things. And that's part of their urbanization program, uh, which I'm not sh- fully sure I completely understand now. But I understand the, the numbers I was given. I think their middle class is about 400 million, which is greater than our, our population. So their middle class is greater than our population. Yeah. And they're trying to they have an urbanization program. I think they're trying to get 1% a year, don't quote me on this, but like 1% a year up to 60% of the population to middle class status. Okay. So you can wow. run the math on 1.4 billion and 400 million and, and figure out where that number comes in. They still got a little bit of ways to go. Um, but that's kind of, if I understood it, that's kind of what. Um, what they're working towards. Now, with that being said, there was a lot of questions that I knew about IP theft and stuff like that, the standard questions to ask. And one of the takeaways from the IP theft was, um, and this is something I learned, was that if you go to China, so Ryan and Nate start a company, and we go to China, and we do a JV with a Chinese company, so a JV specifically, then there is some kind of agreement, it seems, that signs over your intellectual property rights. Now, not all of them, but at least what you do in China, right? So if you're building a car, but only the tires were being manufactured in China, that IP would be shared with the Chinese, not the rest of the car, but that. Okay. And they made it very clear that there's a lot of companies who have gone over there and have signed these agreements and from their perspective are whining about something that's not true because they've signed these waivers. Now that doesn't deal with the IP theft, which is what we hear a lot about. Um, but, but it does give you a perspective that if a company's in China, working in China, do they have a JV and do they sign one of these releases? So are they complaining about something they actually agreed to and the American population doesn't know about it? Or is it something outside of that? So it kind of gives you a framework to read some of these stories and go, okay, well, you know, um, you know, Nate Hansen computers over there and you're saying that the IP theft happened. Well, do you have a JV? Is it part of the JV? Is it outside the JV? What's going on? We did talk to one company who did do a JV, and they felt the way the JV is structured that the Chinese government actually protects that part of the IP that's in country better because of the JV. So then it makes you ask the question. 
if I go open an office in China and I don't do a JV, right? I just go in there and, you know, Ryan and Nate, you know, uh, company, we go over there, LLC, and we go there, open our own shop. Does that, does that mean the China government relaxes or not? And I don't know. Those were the things that made it very hard to distinguish when we talk about IP theft, um, what was going on. But it was a topic that was asked over and over and over and over again. Um, another thing that we heard that I thought was interesting is if you've listened to me on Energy Week, I've been a big advocate of nuclear. And um, it seems that China is considering the role of nuclear moving forward. And by the end of the decade, the next decade, 2030, hmm. there's an anticipation that maybe they will deploy more nuclear technology. How that works out, I don't know. But nuclear for these large cities that they have is a very, very viable source. And so yeah. it, doesn't, it doesn't surprise me that they're, that, 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 that they're talking about it. And it's encouraging because if you read stories out of Japan, you know, they're kind of going back to nuclear because of their import status with energy and stuff like that. So um, I was glad to hear that. Um, and so um, I'll let you ask me some questions, maybe some stuff that you've, you've thought of or, or whatnot. But um, just to kind of reiterate, first off, it was a fantastic trip. I did get detained, and that was hilarious. Yeah. That was fun. Uh, That's a good story. It's a good story. It's a good story. It is a good story. <laughs> For listeners, uh, if you listen to last week's Bringing the Closers, we had an entire half hour of, of story time with Ryan talking about how he got detained by the Chinese government, um, alleged police officials for an alleged possession of an, of an alleged, alleged deadly knife. weapon. Yeah, I'm not, I'm not acknowledging everything. And, and the person that called me up and was saying, said, well, you know, if you took a knife on a train here, and there is, he, he sent me an article um, on, on it, and he said, you know, if you took a knife on a train here, they would take it, which probably is true. I don't take trains, so I don't know. I'm not a, I'm not a train guy. I don't know where the luggage goes or anything like that. And I got through one security checkpoint and my knife wasn't taken. So I assumed that it was, it was kind of kosher. And so, um, but no, that was, uh, that was obviously an interesting, uh, interesting story. The food, uh, I'm trying to pull up some questions. I didn't have some questions um, that were asked of me. Um, uh, The food was some of the best (coughs) food in the world. Literally just fantastic you haven't shut up about those peppercorns. Yeah, they or, have some uh, kind of peppercorn that makes your mouth go numb. And I don't, I wasn't really clear if you're supposed to eat it or not. But every time, every time, <laughs> every time I got them, I tried to eat them because they were, uh, <laughs> they were, they were, they were. It was a weird experience, you know. It's like uh, the first time I had them, the right side of my mouth kind of started going, kind of going numb. Um, and I was like, okay, am I having a stroke or you know? Because you don't. And I'm not trying to, this isn't nothing with, with anything other than like your, your, your mouth starts tingling and it's like, it's not numb, like, um, it's not as bad as like when the dentist numbs you. It's like when yeah. you're coming down off of that, the, the very lighter side of that, you can just barely feel it. It's like, oh, okay, well, huh, it's, it's, you know, I could bite it and still feel it. So the very end of, of, of a Novocaine shot. Um, but it was, it was interesting because like, okay, uh, um, I'm not sure, is this good? Is this bad? I, I, I don't know. And then we asked, and of course they told us, oh, that's the so-and-so peppercorn, and uh, that, that makes your mouth go numb and tingle. And, and I couldn't exactly hear if we were supposed to eat it or not, but um, I ate them every time I had a chance to because it, it was quite an interesting interesting sensation. But, you know, it was um, it was a fascinating trip. And, and the final thing I'll say is, is that I have plans to go back to China, to do business in China, and I would say that – China, just like international stuff, I obviously I do stuff in South Africa. South Africa isn't for everyone. China's not for everyone. There are things that are unique to China that, and, and here's one of the things I learned. Let's say that you're in the research and development business, okay, that you have a wing of your company that does that or that's your primary business. One of the companies we met with, they, um, I won't get into industry specific, but they deploy um, technology that um, that would be harder to deploy in the U.S. because of, uh, the EPA or whatever regulatory body that oversees this technology. Yeah. 
they'd have to have more tests done, more things done like this. Well, they have the technology. They feel like it's ready to go to market. So you have a sizable Chinese market that would take it now. And as we know, when you put stuff into the wild, then you actually figure out if it works. And we know yeah. that because when you get a new iPhone update, usually like two days later, you get another iPhone update because they thought they had all the bugs worked out and like, oh, wait, hold on. And so they created more problems. They created more problems, but then they can fix it. And so, yeah. so if you're if you're in the R&D business, there's 400 million middle class, which means there's big manufacturing jobs and all this stuff going on there. Um so you can put stuff into the wild uh, and then and then test it. And I don't know what the standards are. I'm not trying to say I have a full grasp of that. But you can um, you can put stuff in the wild and then see how it how it reacts and then take it to the market globally. And so when you look at that, if if that's your business, you're over here in the U.S. You're like, oh wow, I uh, I don't know um, I don't know exactly how to get this to market. It's going to take a long time. That might be a good opportunity for you. There's other opportunities as well with investment and stuff like that. Um, a couple of questions that came up on LinkedIn about hydraulic fracturing. Uh, fracturing. Um, we did talk about that some. My understanding, and these weren't uh, oil and gas experts like we would think of, like Permian or whatnot. My understanding on that was um, it's in the, I think, the far side, the, the western side of the continent, uh, the, the country, rather, and there's not a lot of infrastructure, power roads, and stuff like that. And so that's kind of the best answer I got. Um, I don't really know beyond that um, what's going on. Another question was uh, culture, customs, social differences you encountered. So um, we were told that most of the Chinese people we encountered were at the hotel, the restaurant, spoke English, um, that, they could, that they could hear what we were saying. Um, but they would not talk back to us because they felt, I don't know, I can't remember the exact phrase, I don't know if it's inadequate or awkward or, or, or but... Um, I would assume that it has something to do with the face system where if they if they try to speak English to you and it's not perfect, right. then they're losing face in front yeah, of you. It's may, very maybe, important Yeah, maybe, some, maybe something like that. Um, but everyone was nice to us. Um, we didn't have anybody ever that was rude or dismissive of us. Um, and, you know, so... Um, and our, and our cultural interactions, it's hard to say because we were mainly in business or political meetings, and so it's kind of hard to understand all of that. There were some customs, like, you know, you hold the business card. So one of the things that they told us was you hold the business card. Um, I'm doing this, no one can see it, but so Nate can see it. You could kind of, you grab your card with so you two got, thumbs. You got your, your hands out in front of you, right. both of them, kind both of like of you're offering somebody a... Uh, a thing on a tray, right? Like almost. So you'd put your your thumbs on the top two corners and you pass it over and kind of be slight bow. And that's kind of how they exchange business cards. And that was, they would do it even if you didn't do it. But we all tried to to do that. And that was kind of an interesting way because you know when we're just passing cards around and whatnot. Yeah. But if you bought the card out, man, that was one of the things they did. And that was good. Uh, the group again, they prepped us on that and let us know that Chinese business conferences must be so cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, as far as customs go, one of the things that I really liked was all the all the dinners we went to uh, for lunches, at least. The hotels were mainly buffets if we ate there at night, but the lunches, they had big round tables with Lazy Susans. And so they just put the food on there and you could just spin it around. And you kind of picked what you wanted off of there. So that was actually pretty interesting because here we're sitting in a long conference table now. Here we're like passing it down and trying to get it around. And that wasn't. Hundred percent of the time, but it was it was kind of normal. And it was it was it was an interesting way to to share a meal because, you know, when you're sitting there and you go grab Lazy Susan, you you have to stop and kind of look around. Okay, is anyone else you know grabbing something off of it? Is anyone else reaching? So you almost it almost creates this sense of uh, respect or, or caution where you're kind of oh wait, wait hold on you know Nate's going to grab something. Well, it certainly creates more of a community awareness at your table. Right for us, if you've got somebody across the table from you, you might never interact with them during a meal. Exactly, and so they would have interactions where someone's talking to someone else, but then 
because you wanted to get the food, you, you just kind of had to had to had to stop. You there. had to acknowledge. You had their to existence. acknowledge it, right? Um, obviously, we ate a lot with. Um, we had to, it, I tried to eat as much as I could with chopsticks. I'm not a chopstick savant, but you know I, I can do okay with them. And so, um, so they eat their their noodles different than we do. You know, we kind of stir them up with a fork, but they kind of kind of chop them up and, and suck them up in there. So that's kind of a, a different thing. Uh, but those are some of the. Um, some of the comments I got here on LinkedIn, the IP stuff, I kind of addressed that. It's a very complicated issue, more complicated than I originally thought it was, and I'm not really sure where I, where it comes in at. And so one, some, some, someone mentioned to me um, at one point, let's say you're in China and you know they're stealing your IP, then why are you still doing business in China? And I thought that was an interesting take because if you're so frustrated about it, you could just pack up and leave. Just pack up and leave, but they don't. So, so the the theft that they're complaining about here in the states, you know, obviously it's a problem. I'm not saying it's not a problem, but I don't know. I thought that was interesting. It's like, okay, well, you could do stuff. And one of the things, uh, final thing I'll say, I'll let you ask a couple of questions. Is um, in China there was a talk about the manufacturing jobs that are leaving, and this has been going on. I heard this at the Bush China conference, and I heard it in China. Um, this has been going on pre tariffs. The tariffs have kind of escalated it. They're going to like Vietnam and some other poor countries. The Chinese, I think, actually have the right attitude on this. They, the ones that we spoke to, said they were glad those jobs were leaving because those are low-paying jobs. Yep. So if you're trying to get people out of poverty into middle-class status, those aren't the jobs they have to do. You have to do a different job. And so they had a very good attitude that they are losing some of those jobs. Now, some of them I think they are kind of concerned about, obviously. But, but by and large, it wasn't like, oh, my gosh, manufacturing jobs are leaving. We're going to shut down the country. It was like, well, some of these jobs we don't want, not because we're too good for them, but we— I think the poverty line is ten thousand a year is what they said, if I remember correctly. Ten thousand so, dollars or ten thousand yen. I think it was dollars, but you know, okay. some of this stuff is kind of hard to kind of kind of mix through here. But I think it was ten thousand dollars a year. Um, and so, um, if you think about that, you say, "Well, yeah, you want people to get out of the poverty line. They uh, poverty level. They have to have better paying jobs." So yeah. that they weren't. I mean, I think there is. We can talk about the, the the tariffs and stuff in a second if you want to. But but there was a sense in which they are trying to bring their culture up, and, it, and we talked about it on the shows before, especially Texas and Guest Podcast, is that if you go look at jobs and you want to get better jobs, then you have to have better technology, you know, more advanced culture, and as the culture advances, you have more <laughs> more things that you didn't have, um, you know, twenty, thirty, forty years ago. And I always kind of people talk about that. And I'll point to my phone and say, well, you know. Um, you know, 15 years, 20 years ago, I guess it is now, there was nothing, there was no one who created apps to go on your cell phone. Those are new jobs. New jobs that didn't exist back in 1995. I'm, I don't know when, but, you know, whenever the iPhone came out, pre-iPhone, pre-Blackberry, those jobs didn't even exist. If you said, I made apps to go on an iPhone, they would say, what's an iPhone and what's an app, right? Yeah. You had software people, but not this. And so now you have a whole industry of people who make apps for phones. And we're sitting here recording on uh, podcast equipment. Yep. And I've often wondered how much have microphone manufacturers benefited from the podcast boom? Because 20 years ago, you didn't buy a microphone unless you were doing karaoke. <laughs> you had like a church or concert event. Or you're a big-time broadcast publication. You just didn't buy a mic to sit around and talk and record. I mean, I guess yeah. a few people did, but not really. So that's something that's new. It's a, it's, it's a sign of a culture who's growing, and it's offering new opportunities. Blue Yeti is what we're, I'm talking to now. Probably weren't around 20 years ago, if I had to guess, because there wasn't a market for what they do. Um, so I thought that was a good perspective on um, 
I'm trying. So, anyways, I'll let you ask a few questions. There. Anything I've missed that you know I've talked to, I've talked about offline that I can't talk about. Yeah, you kind of touched on it a little bit here, but uh, I was curious. So, you've been to Panda Express, I'm pretty sure. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't, I don't think that they quite have that same food there in in China, even mm-hmm. though Panda Express passes itself off as mm-hmm. Chinese mm-hmm. cuisine. So. What is the chief difference between U.S. Chinese food and China Chinese food? Yeah. So I'll answer it like this. I think they took us to – so we're – if you go to like Japan Express or some Chinese buffet, that's very Americanized, quote-unquote, China. Air quotes, yeah. right? What they took us to, from my understanding, was more Chinese with some Western influence, right? So it's mm-hmm. closer on the Chinese spectrum, but it still had some Western influence was my understanding. I don't think it was full-bore – 100% what they'd be eating all the time. So you did see some crossover there. You would see like some kind of orange chicken or stuff like that. Mm-hmm. But their food, and they even kind of made fun of us, and rightfully so, their food is very flavorful. It's not bland. Like you wouldn't get the food and go, oh, I'm going to add salt and pepper to this. It was yeah. very flavorful, um, very, very, um, you know, they'd have fish and they'd have chicken and they would have other types of animals, you know, I don't know if, if octopus or squid or I, I don't know what it would be. You know, we wouldn't ask. Duck's popular. Yeah, we had some too. duck. We had some duck. Um, nothing crazy, like no monkey brains or nothing like that. Um, but, you know, it was, um, but, you know, the fish, I don't know what kind of fish it was. It wasn't fish that you see here, so I don't know what kind yeah. of fish they're eating. Um, you know, and so um, one of the fish, we had a fish one night, and it was covered in this black sauce, and it had the head and the tail on there. And it had a lot of it still had a lot of bones in it. The fish tastes pretty good. The sauce tastes pretty good. But I don't know what kind. Of, so you wouldn't see that type of presentation at no. Panda Express or your yeah. local Chinese buffet. So that's probably still had a little bit of Western feel to it compared to what they're used to. Um, the other thing they told us was we were asking about fried noodles. Uh, we wanted some fried noodles, and they, if I understand correctly, the province I think province is the right term. The province we were in didn't that wasn't their thing. Fried rice was more their thing. So I, I didn't. I, I kind of thought. Fried rice, fried noodles would kind of be everywhere, but I, my understanding was that's not initially the case. You can, you might can get it at some spots, but it's not universal. Like you go to Pan Express, you got fried rice or your yeah. fried noodles. I suppose that would be kind of like rolling up to to a Culver's in Minnesota and wanting some fried chicken and mm-hmm. uh, corn grits, right? Exactly. They, they would look exactly. at you like you were crazy. Exactly, and that's one of those things that when you go international, you have kind of these stereotypes, and you know, not because you're trying to be negative or derogatory, you just kind of don't know. And that was one of the things that. Um, that the food wasn't there. Um, there was a lot of KFCs there, a lot of Starbucks there. So um, I didn't get to try it, although I wanted to try the uh, the KFC. I did not get to try the KFC. You did uh, go to Papa John's at one point. That was in Nicaragua. Oh, I'm sorry. Yes, that was in that Nicaragua. Was right. and that, that was right. delicious. That was delicious. Um, but anyway, so what else did we talk about offline that maybe I should uh, that I should mention here? Um, well, um, one thing that we have talked about both on the podcast and offline a bit is uh, so obviously. You've become an international trade expert now, basically. Um, and of course, we've we've got some trade problems with China right now. So, mm. what are your what are your proposed solutions? What do you think? Where do you think the problem really lies between the U.S. and China? Because obviously, not not all of it is just um, what's coming out of out of Washington or mm-hmm. what's coming out of Beijing. There's there's got to be some kind of mm-hmm. deeper issue at stake here. How can we resolve that and uh, move on through it? Yeah, the, well, um, that's the <laughs> the billion dollar question or whatever it is. You know, I'll, I'll say a couple of things. Um, the Chinese, when we were there, had some complaints that I thought were at least things that should be considered by the Americans. And so one of them was that we are that our government is selling weapons to the folks in Taiwan. 
and there was the Shanghai communique, I believe is what it's called, and um, it was agreed upon, for the Chinese side at least, that we wouldn't do that anymore. Um, there is a belief in China that some of our, um, I don't know, not, not government, but our NGOs or, or, or private organizations are funding the Hong Kong protesters. So much like we've heard for the past three years or whatever about Russian interference with our election, they make those same accusations against us. And so they're like, well, hey, you guys are, you know, they, they didn't bring up the Russia stuff, but they brought up their stuff. Like, hey, you're doing this and you're doing this and you're, you're supporting these groups and whatever. And that's not helping our cause. Of course, you have to debate what the right cause is and all that. But from their perspective, that is important. The other thing that I thought was interesting, we talked about World War II. And if you don't and don't know the history of what happened to China in World War II, I would suggest you kind of take a few minutes to kind of get an overview. And you can see that they took it bad. It was, they, it, uh, it was very bad, very terrible what happened uh, to they the essentially Chinese. got conquered by Japan and then made into an American colony. Yeah, and they they lost a lot of lot of people. Like I, I, I saw the Midway movie the other day, and they estimate I think it's two hundred fifty thousand Chinese were killed for helping the Doolittle raid pilots escape. Now I don't know how accurate that number is, but that's the number that was being reported. Japan, they told what we were told a couple of times that Japan has recanted their apology to China on that. On World War II, and so yeah, right. So I, again, this is uh, the listeners. You can go look this up and kind of kind of figure out for yourself what what what, what all happened there. It's, um, but they until so I guess they were good with Japan and Japan recanted. I don't know what I don't know what recant means. So keep that in mind. Um, and so they're they're bitter about that because they feel like they were and rightly so they were targeted. They didn't do anything, you know. And Japan, my understanding, was going for the resources, and so they just went in there and mm-hmm. just massacred them. And it was a, it was a terrible, you know. Terrible um, humanitarian thing that was done to them. Um, but, you know, I thought about this, Nate. I said, you know, what if we get the trade deal done, phase one, phase two, whatever, how many phases they're, they're going to do, and Trump comes out and says, man, we really laid it to the Chinese here. We really got over them. This is the best deal ever for America. Now, he might say that, yeah. or he might come out and say, this is great for both sides, da-da-da-da, you know, this is – so he might take that approach. I don't know what approach he's going to take. I would be concerned, though, if he comes out and, and really boasts how he got over on the Chinese because they are very they have a lot of pride, very nationalistic pride. And so yeah. um, I think that's a narrative to watch um, as these negotiations are wrapped up is how does Trump take that and how does he articulate um, the success from the American side and the Chinese side? Does he spend a lot of time praising them and thanking them um, for their efforts or does he – I don't know if pander is the right word, but you know, play to his base. I'm like, yeah, I suddenly get a deal done, and I ran over them guys. And, and I'm I, the strong man, and we've we've right gotten it on, on the Chinese. Right, and look so at it, us. Yeah. Right, and so if you think that, that getting the deal done with China is important, and I think everyone agrees that it is, um, it might be that the post actions um, from the U.S. side of things, at least, because that's where we live, are just as important as what happens now. Maybe I'm wrong on that. Maybe he can come out and say he wants, so they don't care. Um, but, you know, there was some of the things on the trade deal that were brought up was um, they would they would say something to the effect of, well, you know, uh, you guys say you want a free market, but then you won't sell us when we want to buy your stuff. Right. Now, yeah. obviously, there's, you can kind of, you know, say, well, you know, from the U.S. side of things, you guys just quit buying our stuff, and you bought someone else's stuff, and they feel like it's from the government standpoint. So there's a lot of complexity in into those things, and it's not exactly clear from my perspective, um, you know, 
how we resolve those kind of tensions. And it seems like as much as a free market guy as I am now, it does seem like in the intermediate stage is that we're going to have to have these long-term trade agreements to ensure both sides, um, you know, fulfill their obligations or, or buy from each other or, or whatnot. But um, those are some of the things that I took away was that they did have some complaints about how our foreign policy has impacted them. Um, again, and you can agree or disagree with what we're doing, but, I think if you're talking about negotiating or, or, or doing stuff, that you do have to at least hear what they're saying. And what they're saying is that, you know, we're interfering in their elections. We're supporting these people. We're breaking these covenants that we have with them. Um, and from what's interesting is because right now we're talking all the time about, you know, um, the Russians interfering with the U.S. elections, President Trump and Ukraine. So it's like, well, that's an inter- – you know, <laughs> It seems that we're holding a double standard there. Potentially. Potentially so, right? Potentially so. Someone from the uh, – you know, from um, – a little bit more familiar with what all has actually happened would have to break that yeah, down. Yeah, willing to have a foreign policy expert on to talk about that, of course. Absolutely, absolutely. Um, beyond that, though, I, I think those were some of the things that uh, that I took away that I didn't know. The 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 the, um, the feelings on Trump seemed to be mixed. You know, some people liked him, some people didn't. Same as you'd get here. Um, I didn't see any strong. I didn't come across any strong hatred of Trump. Now, they may have not done that on purpose or not, but, um, you know, it, it just seemed like, oh, we like him or, or we don't like him, or and here's kind of why, but no no real... Well, again, there's that face thing. It's kind of rude to tell your guests, by the way, your national leader sucks, and here's why. <laughs> right. Yeah. I right. can't believe that you guys voted for that guy. Right, right, right. Well, a lot of people... <laughs> here, there, everywhere, at least with President Trump, kind of wonder why folks voted for him. And that's obviously a discussion that can be well, had. That's us different... rude Americans, though. Yeah. And so, anyway, so what else maybe we discussed that I haven't hit on the show that would be worth uh, talking to the listeners about? Um, I think that's about it, actually, Ryan. We've covered um, Chinese culture. We've talked a little bit about food and foreign policy. Um, and th- those are the really the, the things that you've – talked about on our shows what what's really stood out to you um and we've we've talked about the bush china foundation and uh the the great job that they did with that and again shout out to those guys who you all did a an excellent excellent job with getting my boss out of the office for a week so that i could (laughs) relax um 10 days yeah 10 days um and other than that, I'm not sure that we have a lot to, to talk about with our with our listeners. Yeah, so I'll, I'll leave it with a couple things in. One, if you can't go see the Great Wall, go see it. It's Now, I would suggest if you do go see the Great Wall, might, unless you're if – you're, if you're horizontally challenged like I am, you might not go to that <laughs> portion of the wall. You might find a little bit flatter portion. Maybe do a shakedown hike in the Rockies. Yeah, go, 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 yeah. <laughs> go find a little bit flatter terrain than we went to. But uh, but if you're in good shape, then what the spot we went to outside of Beijing was, was fantastic. Um, outside of that, I would say that, you know, one of the things that I get when you talk about South Africa and the same things here in China is that I would not recommend, I would not recommend if you want to do business in China or with, um, you know, Chinese nationals is to hop on a plane, land in Beijing and try to go start to meetings. That's, it's not going to work. Right. Yeah. Uh, one of the things that Americans struggle with is when you are, um, working international, the relationship is so important. It takes a long time to build the relationship. It takes time to um, foster those relationships. And so there are groups like the Bush China group or other groups that um, have spent the time and can advise you on that. And we heard from some Americans that were there that 
you know, weren't very optimistic about, you know, people's uh, capacity to come work in China. They have their reasons. Yeah. So there are resources out there if you want to work. I would say um, that the, uh, there are opportunities, and they do fit certain demographics to go there. And there are opportunities to bring Chinese money here to the States. Um, one of the purposes of these trips is, um, and just to be clear, they made it very clear the group that took us over, that we did not have to report on anything. We could have came back and not said a word. That was very clear from the beginning all the way through the end. So um, they, they did, you know, nothing we had to say. Um, but when you sit down with the folks and you hear you know, their side of things, uh, again, whether you uh, agree or disagree on the business model or the po- political stance, putting the, the human face with the thought changes it, right? And so... Yeah. You know, you can get on Twitter and you can blast someone and you can say a lot of mean stuff. Well, you're not saying to their face, right? Um, and so I would just say that if you are interested in doing business in China, that there's, um, there is opportunity. It might fit your demographic. Um, and I'll be, as I'm hoping to go back, potentially, I got an email while we're talking about maybe in December. I don't know if we're going to work it out or not. Oh. Um, we'll be going back in the spring, maybe as late as May, but if not earlier. Um, I have a lot of potential business that, that I'm hoping to be able to do in China. Uh, I think there's a lot of opportunity there. And um, so um, from a tourist standpoint, would definitely definitely recommend go, don't take your knife on the train. You can learn that one from me. I took, really? Yeah, don't take the knife on the train. Okay. Um, and, and apparently you can't take one in the U.S. as well. But I don't do trains, so I don't know. But now I know. I'm a, well, I'll, I'll take a train to uh, Chicago, say, and verify that for you. Okay. Well, you can verify that and, and report back to us. But um, don't do that. Um, tourist standpoint, you know, the Great Wall... Uh, someone reached out to me and said there's, there actually is trips to Beijing that are pretty cheap if you get on like Groupon or something. They heard about my trip and they, they go, uh, they've gone for uh, vacation or something like that. So they so Groupon, they have some specials they'll, they'll run. So go see the Great Wall if you have the opportunity. Same thing I say about Zambia to the living uh, to the Victoria Falls. Go do that if you have the opportunity. Um, from the business standpoint, there are opportunities. Um, you know, think about what what's your objective. What what advantages do you think the Chinese market gives you? If you can sell to 400, you have a product that you can sell to 400 million Chinese, obviously middle-class people, you know, that you would sell here. Then there might be an opportunity that's ripe. If it's R&D based and you're saying, you know what, we're, we got a good business here in the U.S., but we want our, our R&D in China, then there's it. If you're in the solar space or whatever, there's potential opportunities there. So kind of you kind of have to sit down and say, okay, you know what, this might be it. Whereas if you I'm holding a ballpoint pen. If you're in the ballpoint pen business, it might not be the best thing to go to China, right? It might be better to go to Vietnam or, or somewhere else where you can get labor cheaper or, or whatever the case may be. Um, and then as far as the geopolitical stuff, I, I would just leave with this, is that um, one of the things that frustrates me, as I've made very clear, I'm a free market libertarian, so my perspective is a little bit different than some. One thing that, that, that frustrates me is this conversation that you get about you know, we are for these guys or against these guys. And I've said this for years now. I am pro-people. I want people to have access to energy, to housing, to clean water. I don't want people starving. I don't want kids getting bombed. I don't want those things because I am pro-people. People I haven't yeah. met and people I haven't met. Obviously, the people I meet, I have more affection for. The people I haven't met, I have less affection for just because I don't know them. Um, so as we think through these issues, you know, Who's right? Who's wrong on the trade on the on the on the tariff war, uh, the trade war, and all that stuff? You know, that's that's a very complicated issue. But at the end of the day, what we don't want is we don't want people starving. Um, we don't want people, um, you know, living in object poverty because of uh, policies that the U.S. or any nation, North Korea, to call out one, is enacting. Um, and so we have to think through these things that these are real people. One point four billion of them. Some we'd like, some we wouldn't. 
some would like me, some wouldn't. That doesn't mean that the policy should be um, from their side or our side um, geared to put someone at a disadvantage that does not give them the chance to thrive. We do live in America. Um, we do live in a great nation. We do get a chance to sit here and talk on a podcast, um, and we can say whatever we want um, without uh, the, you know, fear of government retaliation. Uh, we should want that for everyone. And we should want anyone who wants to go out and start a business or to you know, move from the slums of Nicaragua to a, a, the capital city of Managua, we want them to have those opportunities. Those are the things that we want to inspire in people. And, um, and so as a trade war plays out, as your business moves forward, as you as a person you know, you progresses, how do you do those things in life and impact them? I and I know for me, Nate, you know, we obviously at our company, we do things with charities. But I'm also a big believer in that, that free markets um, and doing business is one of the ways you solve those problems. If you create jobs, people can live. Yeah. If you give them energy... They can live. If you give them water, they can live. And so for me, um, you know, you can't give all your – I can't give all my money away. I'd be broke. I don't have that much money to give away <laughs> to make a difference. But I can go to China. I can go to South Africa. I can go to any nation that's reasonable and, and do business deals and hopefully create wealth for them and for us. And at the end of the day, uh, that is very important. And I do feel like those opportunities are there in China. And I look forward to hopefully um, doing many, many things with them in the future. So I think we covered everything. Listeners, if you have any questions, we might be doing a specific podcast dedicated to China business and what's going on there in the future. But we wanted to get this out because I did hear some feedback saying, hey, a little bit negative on the China stuff. And I definitely didn't want to get that impression because that was not my take. As I told many people, my trip was fantastic. The jet lag was rough coming, coming and going, uh, but the trip itself was fantastic. And um, the people who took us over were literally um, I cannot sing their praises on how well they organized it, and so they know who they are. If they let me know, I will be happy to sing their praises publicly, but I don't know what the things, what the right and wrong things are. And thank you to the Bush China Foundation for recommending me to go with a bunch of journalists because I am, I'm, I'm, I can't spell journalist, so that was an honor in and amongst itself. I think it's uh, G-I-O... Oh, you got a you got a degree. You're a smart guy. Don't 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 yeah. play the dumb guy. That's you my role. I'm journalist. the dumb guy. I'm yeah. the dumb guy. Like I said on the trip, I am the dumb redneck. So, <laughs> anyways, <laughs> listeners, thank you so much. If you have questions, you can reach out to me personally. Would love to talk more about China or South Africa or whatever tick, uh, tickles your fancy. Uh, Ryan at goartu.com. And until next time, keep climbing.